1: Welcome to One on One, which is the new name for the show previously known as the New Eurogamer Podcast, a show in which I, Bertie, a writer for Eurogamer, find interesting people from the world of games to talk to. I've renamed the show because One to One better describes it and better differentiates it from the weekly and newscast shows we now do. And remember, supporters of the Eurogamer website get these episodes before everyone else. Check the description below or the website for more information. Today on One to One, Someone who's got someone next to them having a phone call, apologies for that, but someone who's beaming from the positivity surrounding their just released game, Citizen Sleeper. This is a tabletop inspired role playing game set on a space station that questions our place in a capitalist society and touches on themes like uh, body dysphoria, disability, marginalization and more. It's the same person who established themselves in 2020 with Alien Ocean Exploring Game in Other Waters, and the person who created the gorgeous Heterotopias zine, and someone who's written for Eurogamer in the past. <laughs> Phew! Uh, they are, of course, Gareth Damian Martin. Gareth, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much, and thank you for that wonderful intro. I'm just like, I'm having a trip down memory lane now, you're mentioning all the <laughs> things from my past. <laughs>
1: I love doing this because people often not forget what they've done, but sometimes push those things aside and think about what's happening and what they need to do and sometimes don't give themselves credit for what has been already. How is your headspace right now? Um, Citizen Sleeper launched about 10, almost 10 days ago now. Um, I bet it's been a wild couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, I can't believe you I can't believe you just said 10 days. You're gonna mess with my sense of time now. It feels like spent <laughs> about three. Um yeah, I'm my headspace is good. I'm I'm super excited. Um, and I'm it's crazy to have so many people respond to your work like this. I've never really experienced this volume of responses and this kind of strength of emotion in people's responses to something. So that's been uh kind of incredible and crazy and so many people have been eager to talk to me about the game. And um, yeah, so that, that has been fascinating. But I feel quite excited and calm generally because I think I, I had a bit of a break before launch and that seemed to work out well. Now I'm kind of ready to to, to kind of like keep this, keep this whole thing going. And yeah, it's been nice.
1: So talk us through launch a little bit because I'm fascinated um, by this idea of what launch is actually like for people who make a game or or in your case you're largely the only person who made this game with with a bit of help uh you know music and things like that is that right
0: yeah right so the way it works is that i'm pretty much the only person who touches the the unity project the game the the physical game itself and um guillaume the the artist who does the character art he i work with him and he sends me the art and i put that in the game and amos i work with him on the music and he sends me the music so it's kind of like i'm even those parts i'm kind of pulling in from the outside and and putting them into the game but all the systems the narrative the setting the everything else is me um i never never have a good word for this because solo solo developers is a funny one because it feels like it erases those two other people Mm -hmm. which i don't want to do but at the same time i feel that i am the the author of the game so i guess that's how i would think of it in the same way that a book might have illustrations, but we we kind of we would be aware that the the author of the book was the the person who put it together. But you know, as you know with games, you also have to design how how a book works as well as uh, <laughs> as well as write
1: it. Um, author is a good way of putting it. Actually, I I remember that, and I should say you're talking about the the character um, designs there and the music, both of which are fantastic in the game. I was distinctly reminded, actually, of Mass Effect. Uh, when I started playing game, the game, there was the original Mass Effect. Something about that title music. I mean, mm. it's unsurprising, really. It's both sci-fi, both have that kind of vibe. But uh, it really took me there. It's very atmospheric. It's, it's good, good sci-fi mood. It's, yeah, I think uh, it's
0: that. It's the solo keys uh, with stars, like it's a Mass Effect kind of signature, I guess. Like that idea of looking across a starscape and getting those individual notes kind of plonking out i think gives a particular kind of mood um but yeah ma- i mean mass effect is a, is a big influence on on me so that's not a surprise really
1: yeah and and the character art as well i had to go and get the art book or digital art book uh from steam because it's it's just gorgeous it's so evocative uh, you get a sense of who the characters are um, and the way it can change as well, you see one character in a certain light and then something happens and you see them in a different light. And all of a sudden their postures change their hunched, They're a bit defeated. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah,
0: Guillaume's Giam, amazing. I, I, yeah, he's hes I can't say enough good things about working with Guillaume. He has an incredible sensitivity to pose and character uh, in his drawings. That's very expressive. And yeah, it's kind of like it almost challenges me to, to right to keep up with the the quality of the characters he's putting out i always feel like i have to make sure that the the characters stand up to the the art that's put next to them
1: is it collaborative in that sense that you have an idea of who the character is but then perhaps you give the this brief to guillaume guillaume comes back with a drawing and you think that's who the character is i better know the character now so yeah, hundred percent.
0: Okay. Yeah, totally. That's exactly how we work, really. Um, it's it's very much like I. In fact, I. I mean, I try to keep things in a potential space rather than in a fixed space as much as I can when I'm writing. I try not to kind of plan everything in great detail and then try to fit things into that plan. I like to think of characters as having certain descriptors, and then I kind of write a scene, and then I'll go to Guillaume and I'll be like, "Oh, you know, I've got this character," and usually I won't even give him the scenes or any of the text they say. I'll just. Describe a kind of limited set of elements of things that I need them to have that that I know definitely need to be in the drawing. Um, and then some general mood references, and then he'll come back with a, a, quite a lot of sketches usually. And sometimes it's like, oh, sketch number two, that's exactly it. Just now we just finalize that sketch. That's it. And sometimes it's like, oh, the mood in this one's right, but let's do some more sketches, exploring that. Let's explore the pose. And as he's doing that, I'm often then writing scenes and adding more things and some characters like the the character of Ethan was completely transformed by the process of hitting on the art for that character because that character was originally quite a, was originally a villain and I guess they're still a villain, but they were very much a character who was there to, uh, to express a lot of the cruelty of a, of um, the corporate system to the player and actually, as guillaume did the art i kind of started to see things from his perspective and be more interested in him as a person because he was so something about the art was just so magnetic um and you know kind of made me feel like oh i want to know who this person is and so then i started trying to think about more about why this person might work this horrible job or what it might be like to work that kind of job and and what that might how that might change you as a person Mm. um if people haven't played the game ethan's a bounty hunter so um, which is a, a kind of, you know, a job that in science fiction, we're like, yeah, yeah that's totally a normal job in science fiction. That's just, but, you know, obviously, if you think about it for more, for, for 10 minutes or whatever, you're like, wait a second, being a bounty hunter is a really fucked up job. Right.
1: Um, which is something that the game uh, Citizen Sleeper does really well is make you think a little bit deeper about people living on a space station and, and the different um, jobs that they may do, if they're an engineer or if they're, a kind of enforcer working for a gang, um, you know, in our heads. And in fact, we're told from certain perspectives in the game that those might be bad things or or these people are painted a certain way, but then you get to know these people and you understand the reasons why they're doing it. Um, And as in life, um, everyone is doing something for a reason, uh, usually because they think it's the right idea. And I I like the way the game pulls you in, in, in different directions like that. Um, it's certainly different to a game like mass effect for instance where you're everything's a little more obvious i'd say
0: yeah i mean i once um i kind of ruined mass effect for myself slightly when i was i was playing guardians of the galaxy the new guardians of the galaxy and i was thinking about how much that game is like a Like being in a flat in space because it's like somebody leaves the fridge open and people are shouting (laughs) between rooms and it's kind of like a space squad, there's this wonderful atmosphere in that game. And I was kind of thinking, how would I compare that to mass effect? And then I suddenly realized that mass effect is a bit like being the boss and going around the office trying to make friends <laughs> or like trying to look for a date with somebody. And once I had that conception in my head, it just, I think it just ruined sadly wow. my ability to, sorry, I've just ruined everybody. You've ruined listening. it for me. Yeah, okay. that's it. I can't play that. You won't now. be able to see Shepherd as anything other than, <laughs> than the CEO, like coming out of his fancy office, which is literally the case and like walking around the studio floor and being like, oh, how's everyone doing? Like being, trying to be everyone's best friend. I think it's, yeah. So yeah, I think, um. I think that's definitely a vibe that I'm not necessarily interested in exploring in citizen sleep.
1: So what's, if we kind of zoom into this launch phase a little yes. bit, what's it like say in the lead up then kind of on the day and then like the week after, is it a roller coaster or is it quite smooth? I mean, you know, what are you thinking kind of, if you can take us there, that would, that would be great. Yeah.
0: I mean, it depends, uh, totally on, what state your game is at, at different points. But in the case of Citizen Sleeper, I left myself quite a large contingency. And I kind of worked very hard in the early part of this year uh, to get things finished and to try and make sure there'll be enough time. Because for games, when you launch them, especially if you're launching on console, which we we launched on Switch and Xbox, you have to go through a kind of certification process where um, the game is checked. It's actually a job I used to do way back when. um, Oh, really? yeah, I used to work as a games tester a long, long time ago. And uh, yeah, it's this process of, you know, checking that if you turn on the console and um, hold the A button and launch the game, the game doesn't crash. And then if you (laughs) do, you know, like all these specific requirements, it's incredibly boring to do as a job. Um, And you have to do all those requirements. And so that's something that has to happen. And so you have to be well prepared in advance, but there's kind of You know, you can come in pretty hot with games sometimes. Sometimes you've got a lot of bugs. You've got a day one patch. You know, you might get through certification and then you might be still working on the game to get a patch in on day one to make sure that the the game's ready. But in Citizen Sleeper's case, I managed to um, fix a lot of bugs through the process. And so we actually, I think about a month out from launch, maybe a little more, uh, the game was finished. I mean, there were small bugs in the game when it launched and there will always be bugs because you suddenly have thousands of people playing a game and there's no things happen that you never could have predicted and your QA team never could have covered. Um, but yeah, the, the game was kind of finished a month out and was went to reviews. that
1: something that you had learned from experience from making In Other Waters? Or... Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I like to run a tight ship, my, my <laughs> publisher, even though it's just me on the ship. So it's quite easy to keep it tight, but, um, the, my publisher actually once previously said that I was the only developer they'd ever worked with that that kind of said a launch date at the start of development and then actually hit that launch date. Wow. Um, and I think that's because I operate in a kind of cut to fit way. It's just something that I learned from working as a designer, especially for theatre. Is that way I used to do a lot of video design work for theatre and for exhibitions. And the thing with those is you can't delay them nobody delays a play and nobody delays an <laughs> exhibition it's like a crazy like why would you do that it's crazy so you get used to this way of working where you're like well the date is the date we just hit the date that's the that's the entire job is hitting the date um especially for theater i mean that's kind of like that's everything is focused on that idea so i tend to work in that way so i think that i was very focused on on working like that for for uh, citizen sleeper so yeah and I thought, so i yeah it kind of worked and I mean, I had to had to push hard in the last minute. Kind of came last minute that we would uh, that we would be on Xbox, um, which was great, and I'm really happy about. But it was kind of like sudden swerve. Um, but yeah, I had a month where I was kind of like new reviewers was were playing the game. I could take a bit of a break, but also it was a very weird process because I felt quite anxious about you know waiting for the game to come out i was just incredibly eager for people to play it um and so that was kind of a weird period really of course Um,
1: because you've been you've been uh sitting there making this game not entirely on your own that there is a publisher there and presumably you have people from from the publisher who are helping with qa and things so so there's there's some feedback going on but but the big the big push particularly i suppose the reviews and then you know the public reaction that's still to happen and i suppose to a degree there's possibly a sense that you don't know you're so close to the game you're not really sure what you've made in a sense or, or how it's going to be how it's going to be perceived is that yeah is that true for you or
0: yeah totally i mean there are degrees of that i think i think it's that you you do know what you've made but how people respond to what you've made is is a very broad scale. Like you can say that you've made something good, but good is not really, none of us play a game and we're like, well, that was good. I mean, <laughs> in fact, if they, I wouldn't necessarily want people to do that uh, if they were, if they were playing my game, but it's, yeah, people have very strong responses. And I knew that there was a lot of, because of the way I'd made the game and what it's focused on, I knew there was a lot of strong material for me i mean i I found writing some of the endings incredibly hard and kind of emotionally involving and so yeah i i think that that was a yeah that was a kind of thing that i knew there was all this material in there but i didn't know how people would respond to some of this material and so that was the kind of thing that i was curious about and then especially after another waters which perhaps is a bit more player resistant or puts up more friction i was also curious to see like Will I also will I get players again? Kind of saying like, oh, I can't necessarily get through to this. Or I mean, um, even you know, your you did a preview of the game um, in the run up to uh, yeah. launch, and and you were like, oh, the you know, it's quite hard to pass the rules, which is is fair enough. The tutorials kind of have also changed since then. Um, but it's like that. I was kind of also really interested in can I get people on board, especially reaching a really broad audience on Game Pass. Can I uh, can I reach those people, or will they turn it on and see the first tutorials and just be like, "Oh, I don't understand this, and I'm not willing to put the time in." Um, so I had a lot of those questions kind of bouncing around in my head for a while, and just was trying to distract myself with with various things, going to events, or trying to kind of like think about the the future. But at the same time, it's incredibly hard to plan about to what you're doing next unless you know what's going to happen with this thing. So. Yeah, the run-up to launch was was kind of like a, a bit of um, me sitting on my hands, I think, for a while.
1: <laughs> so what are the moments that that stand out as feedback starts to come in? So as maybe reviews, it might not be reviews, it might be what people have say, said, uh, the public have said. Um, but as feedback starts to come in, which are the moments, if any, that that stood out?
0: Um. I mean, there was, it was funny, a friend of mine, who's also a critic, you, you might know, uh, you and, uh, he's, um, who, who sometimes writes for Eurogamer, he said it was the best game he'd played apart from Elden Ring this year. And I was kind of like, is he just being nice or is this, <laughs> is this true? And so that one was kind of like the very early, I think that was about a couple of weeks out from launch. I was like, oh, that's a good sign. That's a really good sign, but also. Do I trust that person to not that I don't trust Ewan, but more like you know, when someone's your friend, you don't always know? Or and I know <laughs> that it was, it, I, I know a lot about what Ewan likes, so it's kind of like very well aligned with with his likes. Um, but then I think the one that I think there was actually, um, uh, Renata Price's piece on a review on Vice was the one that really kind of like hit me on launch week as just being like, oh wow, this is working, like this is. This is everything that I, um, that I w- am trying to do, and that I want people to get from this game. Like, it, it's something about, you know, having been a critic and still being a critic, and also being a game developer. There's something about wanting people to meet you, and it's not necessarily about wanting to give you good scores, but wanting what you want really from a review, or somebody to have come and met you um where the game is and kind of like engaged with what it what it's trying to do even if it, you know it might fail or might have issues and yeah that was that was really nice because i really feel like ren um engaged with the game in a way that was just very powerful and actually produced a, a beautiful piece of writing that even if the game didn't exist that piece of writing would be really lovely and expressive of a, a lot of things so yeah that was also a really lovely moment and then um yeah I think launch is a bit, is a bit of a blur but not because I was having lots to do. I mean I did I did stream on launch day um and I, ha- I also had a I had a call with uh, at like a chat like a live chat with Austin Walker who's I, somebody I saw, yeah. who's yeah who's somebody who's kind of like a big part of my journey into tabletop role playing games because I learned uh, about tabletop role playing games like contemporary ones through his uh, podcast friends at the table and so there was something really lovely about things coming full circle and kind of sitting down to talk with Austin about the themes of the game knowing that um, yeah it was kind of like his voice in the beginning that that started me on the journey of thinking like oh tabletop role-playing games have changed a lot since I tried to play Dungeons and Dragons when I was 12 and didn't like it you know it's like the- <laughs> we've we've come on way since there so yeah there's there's the kind of the moments I guess that stand out to me as feeling like they carry some significance
1: and i saw um you share some of these things actually um i think you shared Ren's uh, review you tweeted about it and i, and I read i think a, a part that you that you shared from that and it, and it is a nice piece of writing um, i also i think i saw you share this tweet and, and I, I like this tweet because to me it it sums up a lot about the game Um, And it said, Citizen Sleeper um, is a sci-fi game about bodies, disability, dying, and capitalism. I don't think any other game will ever understand me this much. And I thought that was really nice, this idea that you can make something that other people can relate to in that way. I don't know, what do you think about that?
0: I mean, it's something that I've definitely been thinking a lot. I was just talking to my partner about it last night, and I've been thinking about it a lot this week, and I've been talking to a lot of people and hearing a lot of people coming to me and saying the game connected to them in a way that they feel is very personal. And I'm very interested in this because at some point it's like that people are – people are having their own relationship with the game and it's separate from my relationship with the game. And that's Mm. a funny thing to try and resolve in my mind. And it's really, it's really beautiful. And I, I love this and this is why I think I, I make things is like, I very much believe in telling stories about ourselves, uh, to each other so that we can all feel less alone. And that's definitely the idea behind making what people might, some people might perceive as being like a kind of grim science fiction thing, or be, you know, I've previously been accused of kind of being pessimistic. And I kind of think (laughs) it's funny because I feel like I'm being very optimistic. Um, (laughs) so maybe that does make me a pessimist, but the, this idea of like, if we speak about our experiences, then, then, um, that's where we meet each other in that space. And so that's, yeah, that's been um, really lovely to see people kind of having that experience with the game. And in a way, I don't necessarily like to say, oh, you know, it's not for me to say um, whether someone's experience is wrong or as in not just wrong, but whether or not that is the meaning or the core meaning of the game. Um, But the thing that I've discovered over thinking about it is that I think by modeling the systems that on some level, we all experience uh, in relation to the idea of difficulty and precarity and our relationship to systems bigger than us and the way that we can feel both powerless and empowered. Um, I think that's ended up meaning that because I'm modeling that frame, it's like what goes in that frame is people's experiences. You know, mm-hmm. we've all we've all had those experiences on some level. And I don't know if I was aware of that when I was making the game because perhaps I was quite focused on the sp- my specific experiences and the way in which the game was framing it. But a lot of people have come back to me and had a great conversation with somebody talking about disability and how the game is very much about the way in which the uh, work and capitalism uh, shows its marks on bodies. And I think that's a hundred percent true. I think the game does do that. Was that in the forefront of my mind? I don't know. I think it was just, I, I'm quite, I get quite fixated on things and just kind of like dig into them and in a way in a way the game for me is about sleepers um it sounds weird but like i i i was very focused on just exploring that the conditions i'd created the idea of somebody who um who had sold their own consciousness what what why why would that happen and how do you live with the fact that a previous version of you wanted to do something so terrible to you um or did something so terrible for you for a reason you'll never understand and then also how can you live with the fact that knowing that your experience of the world is somehow mediated in a way that other people's isn't and things like this. And obviously the reasons I created those conditions is I think because those things are very present in my mind and my experience. But once I'd created them, the process of writing and making the game was like in a way just being respectful to the sleeper, like the condition of the sleeper and trying to explore that in all of its, all the potential facets. So it's like in a way like the more i worked on the game the more i i got away from those uh very personal elements which are really like the originating factors and so launching the game it's like all of a sudden it's 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 back in my face like those originating elements And all of a sudden i'm digging back into yeah why is it that i have made a character that um you know <laughs> that can't deal with their previous selves or that you know the, the kind of Seeing all this stuff dug out again is, is fascinating and and kind of a little bit scary, but it's very nice to see people having that, um, that connection to the game.
1: Have there been any moments where you've celebrated? Have you had a chance to celebrate yet?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a very public celebrator, but I think that, um. The, the celebration like this week has been a lot of talking to people and a lot of listening to what people say and trying to read feedback and i find that to be celebratory in a weird way or okay. i i think surrounding having like being allowed or having the opportunity to surround yourself with people's r- responses to your work is um can be a very joyous experience i think it's kind of like there's something really wonderful there and it feels really rare to have that opportunity so i've been celebrating that aspect of it I guess and then yeah in the more traditional sense I don't know um I do I did have a bottle I did I do have a bottle of scotch that is um uh it's older than me by a month so wow. that was that was the kind of launch launch object for me um but I'm a big I have a big um relationship with with whiskey I think because I grew up in Scotland and I think there's tastes and smells and things that come through, um, from my childhood in whiskey, I always think somehow. So yeah, that was, that's kind of like, I guess you could definitely consider having a glass of that a celebration.
1: <laughs> Lovely. Um, I saw you tweet again, um, somewhere, uh, about that this game, um, is changing my life. Um, in, in what sense did you mean that? Because I don't know how well, how well has the game done? Is it, you know, compared to say in other waters, you know, how, what kind of success is this we're talking about
0: um so i mean in other waters also changed my life uh, in the sense that in other waters allowed me to be a full-time one-person game studio and to rent the studio i'm sitting in now and and that you know on the scale of success in other waters is is barely a blip in the world of video games but because i'm a i'm a small person, (laughs) not that small, and quite tall, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a small team. Uh, it means that I can kind of almost get away with having smaller successes than others. Um, and I can make something quite sustainable. So citizen sleeper is more, I mean, it, it just guarantees my existence as a game developer for a kind of indefinite amount of time. I mean, in terms of players, it's, I think because of game pass it's, it's, you know, I don't even know. It could be, you know, it's tens and tens of multiples of the amount of players. And then in terms of, of sales on Steam, it's it's many multiples as well. And um, yeah, I mean, the fellow traveler said that the, the, my publisher said it's the, the biggest launch that they've ever had apart from Hacknet um, wow. just on Steam. And yeah, if you included everything else, it would be the biggest launch they've ever had. So yeah, it's it's been, I mean, life-changing in that sense. But I think more widely, there's an opportunity a citizen sleeper isn't an, an experiment it was not conceived as kind of a a thing that would be like oh this is a perfectly complete object that uh, mm. it, it was very much conceived on the back of another words about turning some doing something quite quickly quite lightweight that would really dig into the things that i most want to make a game about that the things that if i only had one more game left to make it would have to be about these things mm. um but to try and do that rather than like slave over that for, for years and years of my life to try and just like get something out and, and start to really engage with that and then uh, build on that. And so that's also the sense of, for me, Citizen Sleeper is always a, a beginning point. And so mm-hmm. in terms of its success kind of says to me that I can continue then this process um, of making that world and um, and telling stories in this way as well, you know this level of abstraction that I have in citizen sleeper where I use dice and clocks and text uh, is insanely flexible and powerful for me as a creator, because I can tell almost any story within that, that I I want to tell. Um, and so seeing the experiment succeed means that I'm kind of like, it, it gives me a license to then like fulfill that or to, to lean into that mm-hmm. and try to try to see how else can I tell use these tools to, Tell stories, and what tools can I add to them, and, and things like this. So,
1: it's it sounds like an incredibly healthy, um, almost futuristic style of game development. You know, where we we hear a lot about the worst practices in game development, um, but this sounds like a nice a nice way of developing a game. And I think crucial to it is the perception at the beginning that it's a limited thing it's not an open it's not an open book you're like i i'm put i have to fit things into this uh into this box rather than like i'm gonna try and fit a box around it at some point um, yeah and we'll see what comes out i think that definitely
0: comes from my history of of working in creative fields for you know um yeah many years before i came to game development i think generally i meet people in game development who are younger than me especially in indie games and um i think that having worked for other people's projects and having delivered, especially when you work in theater and exhibitions like that, you deliver a lot of projects a year. Um, And I, my work was both kind of managing teams of people, uh, doing creative work, doing concept work, design work, kind of, um, you know, working on all kinds of scales of things. I actually did some interior design for the Met Ball, but no one would ever know this because I was just part of a design studio. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, I've had a weird life, as you might guess from a game like this. But um, yeah, the so, I, you know, I've worked on a lot of projects and some of them are kind of like the biggest projects you could hope to work for. And in a way like that didn't matter, you know, after many years of kind of feeding myself into that machine I, and seeing also design studios go from being um, three person studios that did very interesting work to 20 people studios that could only do work in in Dubai because that there was the only place where there was budgets mm-hmm. that could sustain the work that they did. I was just kind of convinced that this, I'm not interested in this practice at all, and also that I'm not interested in lending my talents to that system, which, um, just became increasingly, I I ended up working on projects that kind of, yeah, that that just didn't align with who I am as a person and actually for clients that, that probably wouldn't even, um, approve of me, uh, my identity and my life. So I was like, what am I doing here? Um, and so in other words, was my pitch at trying to take those skills and actually use them for myself. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very much committed to this idea of being a, a small one person studio and kind of working in this context where things fit and, um, things are equitable and, um, structures are kind of like sustainable Uh, and it's, yeah, because indie games can be incredibly unsustainable. There's, there's, you know. If you have an idea, you can get a large amount of money from people. And that doesn't <laughs> always mean that that's a good thing. And a lot of people crash out making one game or not even having finished one game at all. Um, and so I think people have this idea that success is like getting funding and then, and then like having your dream project. But I think actually the most dangerous thing is to get a lot of money to make a dream project that you're not necessarily able or confident with that can put you in a horrible situation. So. Mm. Yeah, I think there can be a lot of very unsustainable practices, so I try to keep my my distance from that way of working.
1: So let's talk a bit about this um, uh, interesting life um, that, <laughs> that you've had, because I I'd like to go back in time a little bit and and kind of track how people got to the place they got, and I guess you know see some of the life experiences that stuck to them along the way, you know, and help uh, shape the things that that they make now. So if we go back to Little Gareth swinging on a swing in Scotland, in in Orkney. I don't. They, or, I don't think there's or, any
0: swings all. No, there probably are. But it's or quite playing dangerous.
1: around in an ancient burial uh, yeah. chamber, um, as as we'll come on to. We were talking about this uh, a bit before. Uh, but you're dreaming of the future. And what's the what's the future that you're dreaming of? What did you want to do with your life back then?
0: Um, I think that oldest dream I ever had was to be an artist, to be to right. to draw. Really, I think drawing was the thing that kind of got into my blood early on. Um, and as a kid, that's what I would spend a lot of my time doing really. I was kind of, that was for, for a lot of my life, my, or a lot of my young life, that was my obsession. Really. I kind of decided early that's what I wanted to do. And then nobody could really shake me from
1: the path of doing it. That I kind of made a call on that quite, quite early on. Um, and so at what point do, do games come into your life? Is it just a, a thing as with, you know as with any other child of you know i suppose or person of a certain age that games seem to have just filtered in at what point do they come into your life or do they make a sort of meteoric impact
0: so when i i grew up in in the orkney islands and um up there things are, are a little slower and more remote Um they're kind of far above the the north of scotland um you don't you know we didn't there's one cinema on the mainland and you didn't get movies until kind of three years after everybody else and <laughs> things like this so you're not aware of that as a kid right so you leave live quite a kind of strange existence and um, i remember playing i think it must have been sonic on the master system at a friend's house um and i have a very strong memory of the labyrinth zone of that which i guess i still in a way like think is a kind of magical little place it's this kind of flooded ruin which is it's not i think flooded ruin is probably one of my top 10 (laughs) places to be um and uh yeah i have a memory Heads in other
1: waters yeah exactly (laughs) right
0: um and so i have a strong memory of that but i think the point at which games really entered my life in a big way was actually when we moved to the lake district when i was eight years old Um, and that was kind of a difficult time in my life because i came to england with a Scottish accent that I mostly don't have these days, or an Orcadian accent, which is like a kind of singy-songy Nordic version of a Scottish accent. It's very distinctive. Um, and I was kind of not long after then I I got my glasses, um, and I was also kind of because of the way the education system works, I was like a year ahead in school, and so I suddenly went from being what I felt was like a normal child to being like a kid with glasses who knew all the answers and had a weird <laughs> accent, and so I had a bit of a a difficult time there and one of my friends um, that i made early on um, had a copy of pokemon blue and that game just tunneled into my brain i would go over to his house and play the start section of pokemon blue until i had to go home but because i couldn't delete his save file i would just have to repeatedly play that opening section so i must have played that <laughs> section tens and tens of times and I was just absolutely amazed that this was a thing that existed, that that you could have, that RPGs existed, basically, that there was like this little world. And it was also a world where you were a kid and there were towns and there were, um, you know, there were these cool little monsters and everything was just a bit better than real life, but it was also this very <laughs> rural life. It was very easy for me to kind of put myself in it and be like, Oh, this, you know, I can associate with this, um, you know, and you have a room with a TV in it and things like this. It's kind of like, so I think that was like a real impact on me from games. And, and then, yeah, from that point on, I think I just kind of, I got my first Game Boy. Um, I got it with a Game Boy camera, actually, which is where I made my first ever video game. Um, wow. We, weird story, but the, um, the Game Boy camera had this hyperlinked kind of picture system where you could take a picture and then you could stick uh, like little buttons on it. And if you click those buttons, it would do a transition and take you to another picture, which is quite similar to a hypercard thing, if anyone on the Mac, if anyone knew that, and I realized that I could use this to make a kind of choose your own adventure game. I could take (laughs) photographs of environments and then I could put like arrows on them, uh, and then you could click on an arrow. And so you could go like left down the tunnel and then you might like fight. And I even tried to make a little fight with a monster. I made a monster out of Lego, took a picture of it. And then I tried to make a combat system inside the Game Boy camera, (laughs) um, uh, system. So yeah, that's kind of what I think of as my first ever video game, even if it's not, um, it's not part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of fell off the idea of making video games because I think, uh, I tried to make something in source engine many years later when it kind of came free with half-life two, which I think is a bit a massive moment for game developers. A lot of people ended up making source games because valve just gave their engine away with the game. Um, And I've just found it completely impregnable. And at that point I was like, oh, this is just not something that I can do. And I kind of never, like that was genuinely the end of my journey of making video games. And I was like, it's fine.
1: I'd rather be an artist anyway. And, and that was it. So is art what you go on to study initially?
0: So yeah, if we do the whole history, I hope that I don't keep you too long, but it's because it gets very windy. (laughs) But so I did want to study fine art and I I wanted to study fine art at the the Glasgow School of Art, um, which is a wonderful school um, or at the Edinburgh School of Art. I really wanted to go back to Scotland. Uh, Unfortunately, the Glasgow School of Art didn't let me in and they kept my portfolio. They took a long time deciding this and they kept my portfolio for so long that by the time it got to the Edinburgh School of Art, there were no places left. Oh, wow. And so faced with the prospect of um, staying at home for a year, something I very much didn't want to do, I very much needed to get away, was um, I just went into clearing and looked for something that I might find interesting. And I found the word puppetry in the the UCAS guide. And I was like, that seems like a very exciting thing that I've never done before. And um, I went and interviewed at the Central School of Speech and Drama in in London because I was, I'd also been studying theater and I was very interested in theater. And it kind of, for me, seemed like puppetry might be the uniting point between uh, theater and fine art and animation, all things I was kind of interested in. And so I went and studied puppetry in London at the Central School of Speech and Drama, which is quite a weird, that course doesn't even exist anymore. So you won't meet many of us. There was only about two people a year. I think it lasted about 10 years, that course. So very rare person with a degree qualification in puppetry.
1: That's incredible. So um, I've done a little bit of puppetry before, only as part of, a, I do a bit of um, theater in my kind of spare right. time. And um, we had someone come in and, and show us puppetry and I was fascinated. It is, it's genuinely fascinating in how you can imbue something uh, with life and, and, and direct people's focus. And, and yes. it's without, you know, in plain sight, no tricks, no you know, gimmicks, it's just there. It's just, obviously it's something on your hand, but it becomes a thing. I think it's, I think it's magical. Uh, oh it, Yeah,
0: I think this is what really captured me about puppetry as well. In the end, I, I left puppetry knowing that I would not necessarily try and do it as a job because I realized how precarious and, and terrible an idea that would be. And I realized also I'd just basically have to be touring Europe and I didn't necessarily want to do that. But the thing that, yeah, I remember really strongly is that exact idea that like you, you look, you know, you kind of cast your eye around the room and you draw in everyone's attention to you. Because you're someone on stage looking at people, and then you just you can look down at the object in your hand, and you can be sure that every single person in the room will also look down at that object in your hand. Yeah. And then at that moment, if you make that object start breathing and start living, then everybody's heart and soul is immediately sucked into the uh, into the object, and it is it's magic, but it's also just social mechanics, and it's it's yeah, it's fascinating. And I that idea of of being able to kind of lend your your life to something that's not alive uh, is definitely something that I think has kind of then affected how I think about um, making creative things. I always feel like it's kind of like the same process of like, I'm going to give my, my life to this object um, and that was what's going to make it interesting to you.
1: So presumably this is how you find your way into working in the theatre?
0: Yeah, exactly. So
1: yeah, after university...
0: I worked, uh, I mean, I did, yeah, I did a lot of weird things. Well, I mean, I did some theatrical work and I, I taught a show with my partner and a friend of mine, and we, we had a theater company, um, oh, wow. that, that had puppetry. Um, but we also, I also then that was during the period when I really also struggled because there's just not money there. So mm. was living in London with very little money. Um, and, uh, I did agency work both during university and where basically I would, I worked for an employment agency that would just kind of send you to places to do jobs uh, museums bars um, <laughs> and you'd you'd kind of be like a second class citizen because you're agency staff rather than permanent staff and so you don't get any benefits and you're on a zero hours contract so you're not guaranteed any work any month of the year it's a the zero hours contract is one of the most abusive concepts that i think employees have ever come up with and because it's a way of keeping people keeping employment numbers low while keeping people in poverty and difficulty because you can have a job where you don't get any work ever guaranteed and you don't have a wage or any benefits you're just you're just a an an odd job person that can be called on Mm. and so i took yeah i I took that work and so i spent a lot of time doing that um i worked as a tester for for sega on a zero hours contract as well which is a very yeah it was a very tough job with long hours and poor pay and um meeting a lot of people that were yeah the beginnings of kind of some people in citizen sleeper i guess are kind of like coming from that time and so a lot of this gig work and this kind of like unstable work and living without being able to make really enough money to make rent in london is kind of a big influence on i think citizen sleeper and that's where a lot of that a lot of those thoughts kind of start to come i was trying to make it as a as a writer trying to also make it as a as an artist um i had like a graphic novel pitch that fell through and things like this and it felt like i was constantly kind of struggling um but in the end i ended up working at a video games tv channel that only broadcast in indonesia
1: (laughs) 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 wow what what was the chat no one would yeah this is this is there you go
0: yeah they now exist as jinx tv they were also Ah. jinx tv so which are now an esports focused channel but at the time jinx tv was just a, a tv channel that ran out of a office in shepherd's bush with about five people and um broadcast only in indonesia and then in portugal um and it was a, that was a bizarre also a bizarre job but that was how i got my start being a, a games critic really um but then i i you know there were, i i left that i i lost that job and then i went back to agency work and went back to a period of unemployment and also having to go to um job centers and explain that i have a degree in puppetry uh, which is a fun <laughs> experience and you're kind of like <laughs> i think my favorite experience of that was someone saying to me i love the thunderbirds <laughs> you know so
1: i can just experience. imagine the look on their face like <laughs> but i like, just stunned like and now and be serious.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you were definitely treated like it was a joke. Um, but yeah, and then what, you know, so being on that side again, um, working with people who also kind of like slipped off the employment ladder at some point, um, you know, yeah, meeting a lot of people through that was also, again, very impactful for my experiences of and sleep, a big impact on me as a writer, you know, just kind of absorbing people's experiences and thinking about them, and talking about them. Um, and then I managed to land a job as working as an assistant designer for a design company that worked on theater and, and kind of like worked through that. Yeah. And that, that is a winding road. It's a very winding road and I haven't even told you about my PhD yet. So it's yeah. it's.
1: <laughs> so uh, at what point in this, um, y- you do a bit of games, uh, critiquing, but at what, uh, at what point are you being pulled closer and closer to games and. As this sort of magnet is um, pulling you, pulling you in. Uh, at any point, are you thinking, actually, what I really want to do is make a game, not write about games?
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I spent uh, a lot of time writing for Kill Screen during this kind of like a, a magazine, which is uh, and website, which has kind of now collapsed and also went through some very bad changes. But I was with a group of critics who all kind of came together around Kill Screen, and we were all badly paid, but we all really loved to. Uh, write about games in the way that Kill Screen allowed us to, which was in a very, a lot of personal essays, a lot of um, theoretical and political discussion, art history, ide- ideology, like digging into all of these things that I like to talk about in games. And I think there was a lot of energy in that group. Um, and I still know a lot of people from that group uh, who have kind of dispersed around games criticism generally. And I think that really started to draw me back to games. That was where I started doing the, the heterotopias work that was where I kind of just, yeah, having this possibility of being able to talk about games through my own experiences of art and my knowledge of kind of literature and art was, yeah, something that I really loved. And it it made me, I also witnessed the way games were changing, you know, that it felt like indie games were allowing that possibility to, to, like, to justify that kind of critique in a way, you know, that it wasn't just about kind of, taking a triple A game and e- extruding some elements of it. It was also about kind of meeting game developers at that level and saying like, yeah, we actually, we can see your references here and we're gonna kind of dig into those. And um, so I, yeah, I became really interested in games there and kind of started to play about more with making them um, and trying to use my, yeah, my design skills and trying to, but I, I've never really been a programmer and that was always the big gap for me. And so it wasn't until I discovered uh, visual scripting that I realized I could actually make a game and that was the point where I was like oh the the world in a way like I didn't change the world changed the tools became available and I'm not sure I could have made games started making games before the moment that I did because that was when it became possible basically.
1: Was was In Other Waters your first um, I know your first first game was on the, uh, the Game Boy I was going to call it the Tetris then but <laughs> <laughs> uh, was on the Game Boy but so was in other waters your first kind of adult uh, attempt at making a game so it was my first
0: commercial game and it was a kickstarter but actually before then i made um some twine games i did a lot of work in twine ah. and i also worked with a theater company here in uh, in london called coney that do a lot of interactive theater work and i kind of started to use twine with them and use twine as a kind of way of writing scripts for interactive theater. Um, and I think actually there's a weird little practice we developed there that probably is, is unique in a way. I don't know if anybody else does that, but yeah, I started using twine and, and learning to write that. And then I worked on a game jam game called the tower at Totena, um, which is like an exploration game. And that, uh, with, uh, Moshe Link, uh, you might know him, does wonderful spaces. He's just about to have, an architectural he does the the space for a maze fest every year i think the like brutalist ah. kind of gallery that they do but um yeah I, and that was that was that game jam was really influential on me because i was forced to make something in unity and i just loved it i was just so glued to it i basically almost worked for 48 hours because i just loved making this little world inside unity and um and then i was like okay i need to i need to spend time on this i need to figure this out um yeah, and that's when I kind of discovered Playmaker, um, which is a tool in Unity that allows you to, to write visual scripting, basically, and not write code, which is, some people are amazed by this, but it's basically, in other words, and Citizen Sleeper, are built almost entirely in uh, visual scripting uh, rather than traditional wow. code. So, yeah.
1: It's amazing the um, the many ways in which people can, can make a game uh, now. And, and like you said, I, that's one of the positive kind of fundamental changes that's happened in games and the many routes people have to to getting those games out um, uh, as well I think sometimes people forget that you know in the in the noughties uh, or after that in the tweenies whatever you call them um, (laughs) uh, those things didn't weren't really there Uh, they were kind of but but it's quite a recent development anyway um, as you come on to making in other words is is this an idea you've had uh for a while and i suppose as you get to the process of 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 sitting down and 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 thinking about an idea do you have founding principles then about this is what i want my games to be like or is it just a happy coincidence i suppose or 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 a product of of just you're the person making them so they're going to be like that
0: I think it's one of the last one and one of the first ones so it's it's both um I do have very strong ideas I think but it is that those strong ideas are just aspects of me as a person and how I think about games and I guess' it's because i'm i'm a do, do we say widely played so like being widely read but having been a, a critic <laughs> and spent time playing a lot of different games and also now carrying that kind of addiction you I don't know if you have this but I feel like when you've been a games critic you get used to playing, trying to play almost everything and it it's like even when you're not necessarily writing about games you still end up with this kind of instinct of being like wanting to try things and and see what's happening if people are talking about it or if um... yes and no i I, okay. I
1: i like to i like to be different so if if everyone's doing something <laughs> i'd do the other thing it's not helpful it's not a helpful thing but um no I it's like just i that... think it makes me special
0: I guess, (laughs) I know it probably does. It's more that (laughs) sense of, (laughs) it's more that sense of like having to have your finger on the pulse, I guess, like that's an instinct that I kind of have. And so I feel like I have a very broad range of things that I pull from. And so when I start to build an idea, I'm often kind of thinking about, oh, I really like that particular quality. Like for for In Other Waters, for example, one of the things I was thinking about was, um, it's a totally weird thing. And often I talk about AAA games, which is kind of funny. But it's like tiny things from AAA games are the kind of things I draw in. And one of the things was in The Last of Us how um, the game sometimes gives you a little prompt to talk to Ellie that you can go and like press A and like, or X or whatever, and Ellie will talk to Joel. But Joel is such a bad conversationalist that those conversations usually end with them both grumpily kind of stopping talking in most cases. And I really like that sense of yearning that the game creates for you in wanting, you really want to know who Ellie is, that's a really strong driving force, I think, in, in the last of us from Mm. us players. And, but you're locked in Joel, like you're stuck in this grumpy guy who (laughs) can't get over himself. And, um, Mm. every time that prompt comes up, you go over there kind of like, oh yeah, okay. okay. They're going to give me something. And then she's like, uh, you know, Joel's like, oh, how are you feeling? And she's like, oh, you know, a bit sad. And he's like, well, buckle up, you know, it's like, (laughs) and you're like, what? Like what, Joel? Is that what? Is that what I get? And so, um, and so it creates this incredibly strong, like, sensation of wanting to know Ellie. And so, when that breaks, when we have those moments where Ellie opens up to Joel, and when Joel softens off, and we suddenly get this, like, the 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 underlying chemistry between the two suddenly comes, rises up. It's so powerful, um, and it's so that's so gamey but I think it's like people often talk about Naughty Dog's games as being like, oh, they're very, it's just cinema. It's just good writing. It's just, and I think people almost don't pick up on all of these little things that happen that are very, very things that happen in video games. And so in in other words, I really wanted to generate this feeling of like frustrating the player in terms of not allowing them to ask questions about Ellery, not allowing them to do, to only allow them to say yes or no. And um, to try and like generate in a way like a tension, a kind of chemistry between them and Ellery that comes from not being able to reach somebody, from not being able to touch them. So I guess, you know, that's kind of answering your question, like 50% of one and 50% of the other, like that is, you know, a very specific idea that I have about games, but it's also a very, I understand that's a very strange or unusual way of reading those interactions and then wanting to put them in a game, like it's quite atypical. So. Um, it's both my own weird obsessions, but then also kind of the rules or structures that I think are interesting in games.
1: But you highlight an important point, which is that many of these games, let's take something like The Last of Us as an example, is a big collection of things um, all working together. So there are many different things within that that maybe speak to certain people and some bits. You may not like the combat, for instance, but you might like something over here. So I think it's it's interesting that you can pull these Aspects out and on the thing that you're talking about as well, I think there is a big difference between games giving you things and then games enticing you to want more. It's like this souls approach to uh, world building um, and law where it typically kind of holds it back a little bit. So you kind of want to have it rather than a game that's just pushing stuff on you and going, here's some law, here's some law. And you're like, I don't
0: want it at yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah totally.
1: On a similar theme, the uh, kind of guiding or founding principles. Um, do you have? I've been wa- wondering recently uh, whether people have kind of mantras or guiding principles that they they sort of live by, and you know maybe little statements that they wake up with or think about. In my case, when they're on the toilet, that, um, I, I say to myself like, "Be brave." For instance, it's really cheesy, but it's something that I'm not always so like give myself a little nudge to go and do that. Do you have anything? Like that, and I wonder if it's kind of filtered through into your games.
0: I don't know if I do. For me, or maybe I do, but I do have a tendency to do that for projects. I think I, I'm quite kind of interested in using talismans because I'm I'm so much so much of my work is managing myself. It's like I, I kind of have to do this thing, like leave things in the corner of my vision, or like put books on the table, even <laughs> if I'm not going to read them, or like I've been carrying around. There's this wonderful book, Black, Blackfish City um that's just yeah it had a big inspiration in other words along with like i think 30 other books but i've been carrying that in my bag for for months um (laughs) just because i wanted it to be around even if i wanted to read some particular passages of it which i of course never did but it's kind of like talismanic and i do that with leaving bits of text and language around and I've kind of I think I've spoken before many times about a post-it note in other waters that that has like the word symbiosis written on it and for this game that word was precarity for citizen sleeper and I can see out of my vision I've written some things (laughs) and there's postcards stuck up here um with things on them so I do try to kind of keep those things around I don't know if they're necessarily mantras but they're they're like these little objects that kind of sometimes they're they're objects I have them that some of the UI design in other words was inspired by a specific Japanese radio. And I bought, I imported from Japan a tiny little model of that radio <laughs> and I put it on my desk uh, so that I would always remember that that was the kind of, that if I had a question about new visual design elements, I wanted to add, I could just look, I could just pick up the radio and like look at it a little bit more and kind of make sure that I'm still reinstating that connection between me and the, the inspiration. So yeah, I'm quite, a, I, I'm quite uh, funny like that in terms of just kind of having a lot of touchstones um to pick up on i it, the playlist for citizen sleeper that was all the music inspiration i sent to amos it was called citizen sleeper intimacies because i wanted to remind myself of intimacy as well um and i think that perhaps is the second word apart from precarity that is important to that game is is and those are kind of counterpointed in a way in my head that like um, the response the answer to how we live with precarity is through intimacy. And I think that, that, that kind of like, yeah, it's something that I try to, because, you know, writing and especially, especially writing, but making anything is like a, a, a game of manifesting things that don't exist. Um, and so you need sometimes some, like with any other magic trick, you know, you need some needs a piece of someone's hair and you need like a, a, a bit of a bone from a bird and things like this to <laughs> manifest things in physical reality. You need some physical things to help you
1: manifest things. So,
0: yeah, I tend to tend to kind of make some ritual arrangements around me myself to keep myself in that space.
1: Um, and I'll come back to, to some of that point in a second, but um, within other waters, um, which is now you know a couple of years in the past what kind of um space does it occupy in your mind now how how do you feel about that project does it is it something that's still very vivid to you or is it something that's kind of shrunk uh or sunk maybe uh out of sight how does it how does it sit in your mind
0: i mean i think it's kind of it's funny it, it hasn't shrunk or i i think it's a very particular i think of it as very particular to its time and its um because it's a such a a particular approach and in a way, like I look back at it and kind of like, it's like looking at a previous obsession. Like, let's say that you got really into, you know, something, and then you bought lots of things related to that. And then now these, now they're sitting on your shelf and you kind of look at them occasionally affectionately, (laughs) it kind of feels like that really, it feels like a previous obsession that I've not necessarily moved on from, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be able to be as I was. Um, when I made it again, I, if I was ever to go back to it, I mean, I already, you know, have gone back to it in the form of I'm working on the the tabletop adaptation of it, and but that feels like again approaching it through a new lens, a new obsession of mine, which is tabletop games, and kind of bringing that to bear on it. And so, I really, I, you know, I love that I got to make it. It feels to me even a, just a weird thing to make and a weird little object, and I still love that people got it and got into it, and um, It feels like a piece of magic in that way like it i don't know something about me choosing something that was just so deeply enmeshed with myself um then making it and then people being like oh this is great it's kind of like oh okay um and i think that allowed me to trust my obsessions and my interests that allowed me to make citizen sleeper and it allowed me to recognize i think one thing that having wanting to be wanted to be an artist for all of my life and believing in work that was I think quite radical and very personal. I never really saw games through that lens. And even when I started making In Other Waters, I kind of uh, began feeling a little bit embarrassed that I'd not made it as an artist and that somehow I'd have to like resolve myself to making video games maybe. Um, <laughs> but after the release of of In Other Waters, I recognized through other people's eyes and, and how personal that game was to me. Um, and that was also part of how I kind of re- gained the, the confidence to, to come out as non-binary as well, um, was actually through looking back at that game and thinking about, um, how it reflected me. And that then allowed me to allow myself to make citizen sleeper and allow myself to engage with aspects of myself that I think I hadn't previously felt permission to to talk about because it felt like they were dysfunctions or things that were not supposed to be there and to engage with, uh, things emotionally in a way that I'd kind of felt I've been trained to, to be in that been taught that emotions are a, not a good way of relating to things or that they're a, that, that, you know, logic is superior somehow and kind of like, yeah. So I felt like it, it was, it's a very powerful game for me now because it represents a, a huge transition in my way of seeing myself and also my way of connecting to my work and what, what things can mean. And so I guess citizen sleeper is like the, the the gambit off the back of another words of saying like, okay, what if I, what if I uh, close that gap between saying, well, I, this is my video game over here and this is my art over here where I'm, you know, doing kind of a weird experimental writing that's about, um, which is what I did in my PhD, but like weird procedural experimental writing about uh, my experiences. And it's like, well, what if those two things could be, the same what if i could make a video game that didn't uh that didn't feel like it was somehow embarrassing or separate from art or myself um
1: which brings me uh very much onto my next question which is about citizen sleeper to me is is a game about people people you meet and who, and who you look after and, or or you know you I suppose you gain intimacy with um, in this space station world um, and they help you look at the space station world from different perspectives uh, and open your eyes about um, different things but of course all these people are sort of you in the middle and kind of stretched out in different directions and and pulled apart and then fleshed out and made into these um, made into these people they are as you you said earlier uh, um, they are aspects um, of yourself And, and that's quite that's quite a personal thing to to share, uh, for starters. Uh, and and I saw you tweet actually um, about one of the endings, um, and that writing or some of the endings um, almost broke you. I, I guess you know you're following emotions within yourself that are difficult, challenging emotions to kind of get into, and they you know you can feel them bubbling up. There's some stuff there what's that process like? Do you ever stop and go, whoa, Gareth, you know, I don't know if you should go here. Um, And do you ever worry that, you know, pulling all this stuff out is, I don't know, it's kind of discovering yourself at the same time. Are you worried about, you know, what you find there or what you won't find there? What's that process like?
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, absolutely. There's one, there's one specific ending, which is about, giving up on your body basically. And that ending, I was definitely in the process of writing. I thought, okay, I actually can't, I can't write this ending. I don't want this ending to exist. And then I had to kind of resolve myself to understand, uh, to understand what that meant and how choosing that ending would mean something. And then I kind of got my way through it and I felt like, okay, this is, uh, and, and yeah. I'm it was something that I had to be very careful about. And yeah, I absolutely do. But I'm not afraid of, I, I, I think it's more external influences that have more of a kind of negative effect or things that might kind of make me feel like, oh God, I can't actually look at this right now. Hmm. I think with my own work, it feels uh, discursive. It feels like a process of working through Um one of the things I experience is very vivid dreams. And I often dream ideas, uh, often dream whole things. And I, there are days where I wake up and I dreamt the idea and then I go and I write the idea into the game. I, I don't know why my brain works like that, but it does. And I feel like sometimes writing is a bit like manifesting that same dream state sometimes of like mm. a, a very vivid paint, building this very vivid thing in front of you that's like you can, you can you can throw stuff into it, you can fill it up with emotion. Um, and that's kind of, that feels good. I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm not scared about bringing those things out of myself. I think it's much more dangerous to not bring those things out. That's my experience in life has been that talking about things is always better than not talking about them. And that, um, yeah. And so I think that openness, I'm very interested in openness as a quality, as a radical quality, and as a way of, approaching the world and and trying to be in the world so i yeah that's kind of part of that process and yeah i I don't know like manifesting those endings is like sitting there and just kind of writing and then just allowing yourself to kind of like go down those paths and sometimes you back up a bit and you're like no it's it's too far Mm -hmm. but it's also like i said i I do try to respect the characters and the characters are forces of their own right like after a while characters kind of tell you what they want to do and i think a lot of writers feel like this really i don't think that's something very unique i think a lot of people often talk about writing books as like a negotiation between mm-hmm. them and the story you know that sometimes things just take on their own life um and, you know it may be in a way like a kind of puppetry could be a puppetry connection but you know because the, there's some things in puppetry where it feels like well the puppet's telling you what to do next you know you, you kind of there's that nice that that's one of the things that's also very interesting about puppetry is when you hold a puppet and you start doing things with it you're kind of also not only are you lending your consciousness you're splitting it between two points and that allows it to be in this kind of other state this kind of suspended state of like intent intentionality becomes fuzzier you know you're kind of like well did the puppet want did i react or did the puppet react i'm not thinking that the puppet has any force but it's more like a kind of mental process i guess I'm, I think I'm making myself sound way more mystic than I am, but the, the, yeah, it's the same with writing. I think like you, you're putting, you're splitting your consciousness between you're putting bits of yourself into this character and this experience, but you're also keeping bits in your mind. You're not fully, I'm not trying to self insert or fully put my experiences above anybody else's. So I'm trying to play that balancing act of drawing qualities of, you know, uh, from my experience, but also then like respecting the context and the characters that are, that are going through that. Um, and, and trying to, I found that like, with, with Lem, Lem has this one ending where he explains a kind of theory about people and systems and how they interact with each other. And that's a theory that I hold, but I had fun trying to find how Lem would explain it because Lem <laughs> is not probably particularly, um, theoretically engaged he's not somebody who would engage with theories of the world he's one of those people who might have his own very personal theories of the world that are about that don't he would never hold up to the light and so that moment is a moment where he takes a theory that means something to him and he shows it to you and that's a kind of moment of intimacy of of kind of like i trust you for me to say this kind of slightly dumb sounding thing that means something to me um and so i yeah i kind of tried to make sure that it was it was not just me going hey here's my theory of how people work but instead it was Lem pulling something out of himself and that being a bit awkward and kind of like oh I don't know how to explain this but I know that I know that you're there with me um so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of that there's a lot of negotiation
1: how does it feel now do you feel a kind of catharsis in having you know pulled all these characters um initially out of yourselves until they take on you know a life of their own do you feel I don't want to say it, but, uh, emptied in a way. Um, uh, yeah. How does, how does that feel now?
0: Well, you know, the, I'm only lending things, right. I'm not giving them up. So I'm still full <laughs> of all of these things. They're, they're still, uh, they've still been given though. They've still been lent. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, what I see is other people kind of doing the same process in a way. Right. Like I see other people taking bits of them and putting them in the game and having that and, and, and experiencing, I think is actually a, a genuinely strong and good experience, that experience of kind of suspending ourselves for a moment um, and kind of being somewhere else, but also being in us. And that's what I really want from my work is like not to create a reality that's about, well, just go over there and don't think about your life because your life sucks. Um, You know, I want to, I want to be like, be with me here, but like, let's, let's keep you, you know, like, let's bring as much of you across the across the divide as possible. Um, and yeah, I think that kind of bears out. So now I feel like I'm, yeah, in a way that fright frees me a little bit because there are all these people, uh, doing what I was doing and I, I don't, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not looking at those characters like that anymore. Those characters are now kind of like, I've, I've cut the cord. They're out there and other people are giving them life. Other people are kind of puppeteering those, those uh, people. And yeah, that's really nice. It kind of, yeah, it's, it's liberating in the sense that I i don't have to be the author anymore all the time um and and yeah that's i think that's really nice and i'm just excited about the new the new um people that i'm building in my mind
1: <laughs> right so i love that we've kept a, a puppeting theme going uh throughout this so what's this period like now for you so to to kind of use a, a theatrical analogy when when I've been in a show in the past, there's this incredible push and, and you'll know this well, as you get towards a performance where, you know, the show has to go on and everyone's frantically doing everything, then it kind of comes together in this almost big bang uh, kind of situation. And then it feels like almost a day after the show closes, it's gone, it's just gone. And yeah. and all of that, it just, it you know, it's, it's a memory in, in, in your head, but do you feel that now that kind of feeling at all where you've pushed push 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 now the game's out there and then you're i don't know sort of just floating around a little bit um or i don't know how, how do you how do you feel so i kind of
0: yeah so i kind of pre-had that in a way in like that finishing moment but pre-launch which it turns out to have been i think good health healthy i feel very energized now i'm I, i'm I'm able to be energized by the experiences now because I have, excuse me, I have energy from the, from the rest. (laughs) I've rested and I'm, I'm back in kind of full speed. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, citizen sleeper feels like a starting, firing a starting gun rather than like running across the finishing line for me now. So that's, that's definitely a different experience. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like I pre had that, but yeah, absolutely. You always have that moment. I think at the end of a big project where you're like, um, (laughs) and then you immediately get sick or whatever, or you, you, especially theater is like the most extreme example of like that, I think in my, in my life. But, um, yeah, I, I also try to protect myself from that as much as possible after many years of doing it. I think that's kind of, you know, when I was younger, I might've kind of been more reckless with myself, but these days it's my work is me and, um, making sure that I'm okay is a way of making sure that that work keeps happening. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, so so it's important to me to also try as much as I can to build sustainable structures and, you know, not just using the word sustainable to mean financial, but sustainable in the sense that I'm not just Mm. burning myself out on every project. And I'm not kind of like pushing too hard. Cause I, it's very easy for me to get very excited and push as hard as possible and disappear into the worlds that I make. I don't, I don't find that, hard thing the hard thing is actually like stopping myself from from kind of just like disappearing into it or like yeah like going too far so yeah i'm but no i'm 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 not feeling that for the moment which is good who knows right might come off this podcast and just go for a lie down or something (laughs) it is a friday but yeah for the moment i'm good
1: so you talked a bit that you, you you're living with some, some new characters and that citizen sleeper is, is like the firing of a, a kind of start gun. Presumably this means you're working on a new idea. Um, are you working on it already? Have you been working on it for a while? What, what's going on?
0: Yeah. So I'm working on new citizen sleeper things is what I'm working on. Okay. Um, so that's yeah. Citizen sleeper will we'll continue. Um, That's what I'm really excited about. And, um, the specifics of that will, I guess, come in time, but the, yeah, that's something that I've been, I've, I wanted to be very clear with, um, people is not well, like, you know, you can't always necessarily say like, oh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But the sense that like, oh, stick around because I want to do more here. And that was always the plan with citizen sleeper, making it efficient, quick project. I mean, it was made in less than two years, which for game development is quite fast and that was because I wanted to do something that allowed me to build on it. I also realized that, you know, I've made two games with totally new um, settings and characters in four years. And if I keep doing that for the next 10 years, I'm going to have too many <laughs> people running around and too many ideas. So I, I want to kind of, Citizen Leap was designed to be something that can build and it can, cont- can be a big container, can be one of those big containers that contains lots of things I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, I'm already kind of like digging into, well, what else can we, where where else can we go with this and and what characters can we add? And, um, you know, I, I want to also make some, mess about with kind of some balances to the original game and try to respond to people like, you know, that. so the one thing with Sit and Sleeper is being based on RPGs is it's, I tried to, as much as I can, pre-GM the experience for people i tried to create an experience that in some level felt like it anticipated a little bit um what people wanted but the key thing is that it also pushed back because i think the key thing that makes a difference between a kind of video game rpg and a tabletop rpg is that a video game rpg is often interested in offering you all the options Mm. and i don't think that At least I don't GM like that. Certain GMs, I I like to offer people options, but I'm not going to break the rules of the world or the logic of the world to offer those options. Sometimes things just can't happen. Sometimes, or sometimes it happens, and it's the fun thing is like it happening in the way you don't want it or a way that's different. Or and I think that that negotiation, that conversation that happens between a player and a GM is fascinating to me, Mm. and is very exciting. And I think active GMs um, lead to interesting interesting dialogues rather than just facilitating somebody's fantasy it's a process of kind of we're working this out at the table and we're going to work through this world and build it together um and so i'm really interested in then switching trying to reduce that that feedback loop of like well i spend two years pre-dming the game and then everybody else in the world goes and plays it I'm, i'm interested in trying to kind of like maybe lean a bit more into like can i can i add things more quickly can i Uh, respond to people can I like take people on a journey in the way that I would like to as a as a game master when I'm I'm running a game
1: I think that's fascinating because for me um I've been playing this Dungeons and Dragons campaign for like the last year and for me the interesting things are the things that go wrong um I think when things go right it's nice you know there's a there's a nice feedback from that but the memorable things the things that go wrong and i think pull us in more deeply because we don't want that to happen and we're trying and there's a point where you can see it happening and you're like no 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 no. Uh, and i think that's a powerful thing um so we're coming to the end of the chat thank you so much uh for joining me but i've got um, a trio of questions that i ask everyone um and they are first game last game and best game um so the first of these, first game, what was the first game you played? And it can be literally the first or it can be the first kind of significant game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember if there was something before Sonic on the master system. That's a pretty, I think Underwater Ruins is a pretty good starting point for me, but I definitely remember putting a tape in something and waiting for <laughs> that to load up. So that that's, that's, but I can't even know what that game was, but that, that was a kind of, but yeah, those that's a that's a real first game. I think the the first the first game that I really anticipated and kind of like felt like it was I was part of this process that I'm now part of all the time was actually Pokemon Gold because um, having played Pokemon Blue, it was that experience of like oh look at you know the. Um, look at what's happening here. Like I, you know, I remember buying a magazine because I had Pokemon Gold on the cover just to kind of like dig into, oh, what's going to happen in Pokemon Gold? And then discovering this world where it's like, oh, day and night matter and there's seasons or whatever, or like, you know, things like this. It was just like, yeah. So that that game also was kind of like, oh, wow, games can like be in the world with, with me in a way that I still get very excited about. I still kind of love those little poker walkers and things like this, like all these... These ways in which games can kind of like lead into our world too is is very fun so that's first best is really tricky
1: let's go to last what what was the last game you were playing
0: um i just caught up with the newest season of destiny 2 um, okay and i yeah i still think that the seasonal storytelling in destiny 2 is just a fascinating episodic story i so i'm so interested in episodic narrative and i'm so interested with what where destiny has fallen in this very weird place where it's like a tv show that you have to play <laughs> a, a, a death match <clears throat> or like an at horde mode in order to watch the next episode it's kind of like a wonderful idea and it's so mad i still find destiny to be a totally mad and weird game that i am still not really sure how it happened and why it continues to happen in this way um because it's so different so yeah that's my that was my last game
1: um and so the biggie uh, best game which I guess is favorite game um yeah you can whichever criteria works
0: it's a tricky one um yeah. I mean it's funny because um Metro Prime would probably be my previous answer but I feel okay. like in other words kind of in a way by trying to make scan visor the game I kind of excised some of that feeling. Um, I think inside is an absolute masterpiece. I love Mm -hmm. inside to me inside is like someone made a prose poem into a video game. It's kind of like, I love how it's, it's set in another world, but it's also kind of disconnected from reality. Like at no point does it ever try to tell you that this is a coherent reality that you should be experiencing. And there's like, you know, nobody ever is like, oh, you know, I need more things set in the inside universe because what is the inside universe? It's not, it's not, it's just a, it's a load of ideas about control and power and people and players. And I love games that kind of acknowledge that the player is different to everybody else in the game, which is something I try to do as well. And um, that, and, but another game that I want to mention as potential best game is also the beginner's guide um, just because I find the the kind of, game of autobiography and self-disclosure that happens in the beginner's guide to just be absolutely fascinating. And I don't think anybody, I can't think of a something even close. I think the idea of a game creator using their own voice to tell a story, which is partially fictional and partially, um, true. And that those things are very hard to separate. And actually it doesn't matter really. It's such an interesting process and, um, the fact that it's framed within you know there's this door returning door puzzle in um beginner's guide that becomes a kind of symbol and i love this idea of a designer kind of saying like i'm obsessed with this puzzle and this puzzle means something and so i'm yeah. going to make a game where we kind of dig into what this puzzle can mean and whatever it, it's just a, it's a game about making games in in a way that is very wonderful and and magical and yeah i think it's very human and then it's it kind of also gets really weird and out there and yeah i I I, that game just feels like a completely unique artifact that is like from a different world that, that we didn't uh, a different path we didn't go down where the walking simulator became a kind of like became a literary form basically it's yeah it's very fascinating to me.
1: It's great this this uh, idea that, that more games more voices, more angles more we get a chance for that uh, now uh, coming up and a long way totally. may we see Maybe we see more of it and,
0: and what, you know, not to, sorry, drag this on forever, no, but funny. just, just one thing is that for me, the key thing about, you know, cause I've kind of told <laughs> a bit long and hope it wasn't too winding life journey, but the, the thing that ended up making me decide that I wanted to make games was I recognised that doing new things in games is something that people are really ready for. And it used to be that new things were fancy graphics or new technologies. And now that's not really the case because we've kind of hit some, some plateaus there. And so now everybody's looking around for new things, new things all the time. And I think this is very exciting for me because it means I can do really weird and unusual things. And there's an audience, there are people who are so open and ready to accept those games. And I think people in games don't really realize how different that is to other more established art forms where the new is still kind of suspicious. I mean, like, I think trying to write an experimental novel is so, trying to get an experimental novel published is so much harder than trying to do an experimental video game. And I, I'm so glad that I managed to find a space where I could do something like sit and sleeper and then people really engage with it in a way that's not kind of, it's not aloof and it's not skeptical. People are there on the, people are meeting the game on an emotional and felt level that I that I really like. So yeah, I find that very exciting about games. And I think the more the more games can suck in people who weren't supposed to make games, who wanted to do something else like me, I think that's gonna help more with that too.
1: More puppeteers. Yeah. Um, Gareth, thank you so much uh, for spending this time with me. It's been fascinating talking to you. And I think that's a really exciting uh, place uh, to end, a really hopeful place to end. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, To everyone else, we'll be back um, in a fortnight with someone else interesting from the world of games uh, to talk to. So do join us then. Uh, But bye for now.